than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 81 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 4 through 8 of season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman, and episodes 3 and 4 of season 2 of The Adventures of Superboy, both of which were produced by Filmation, and this will include the Superman episodes, The Wisp of Wickedness, the Superboy episode, The Chameleon Creature, and the Superman episode, Superman Meets His Match, that will make up our first segment. And the second segment in uh, this week's episode will be the Superman episode, Night of the Octopod. The Superboy episode, The Great Space Race. And the Superman episode, Brainiac's Bubbles. However, before we get to that, th- there will be the usual feedback to address this time, as usual, from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode number 73, the third episode in which I talked about the uh, Filmation cartoons. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I must say that I'm enjoying your coverage of the Filmation Superman Superboy cartoon more than I thought I would. Not that I expected you to be bad, but my memory of these cartoons was that they weren't all that good. Overall, I'm considering them anew in light of your coverage. I find, for example, that I like the theme song to the cartoons more than I remember from my childhood. Don't get me wrong, it's not up there with John Williams' work or the theme from The Adventures of Superman, but it has a kind of punch that I like. Yeah, I'll go with that. That's uh, There's not much memorable about the music for uh, this particular show, but it serves the purpose, I guess. It's just about what you would find in a cartoon of this type. So anyway, back to Dave. When discussing the robot of Riga, you wondered if the alien planet landscape would show up in an animated Star Trek series, since you thought that the Star Trek Filmation series was being produced at the same time. I don't recall if there was an overlap in the two series, but the Star Trek animated series didn't air until 1973. The actual live-action series was still in its first run on TV in 1966. And, uh, yeah, Dave, I'm not sure why I would think that the Star Trek animated series was in production at this time. You're right, the live-action show was uh, just premiering in this year. But you never know. Maybe they used some stock animation. I don't know. The the Riga homeworld looked uh, Star trek But anyway, back to Dave. For the Invisible Raiders, you mentioned that the sorcerer used the word die, and that the bad guys in these cartoons seemed more competent and villainous than in the cartoons of your own youth. This was probably due to a campaign in the late 1960s and early 70s to reduce the amount of violence in children's programming, particularly cartoons, and especially superhero cartoons. When you eventually get to the Super Friends, if that falls within your Superman purview, you'll notice, I think, as a greatly reduced level of punching and shooting in those cartoons, as compared to these and correspondingly bad guys who are more often defeated by outthinking them than by outfighting them. Gonna stick Dave on hold for a minute, and uh, yeah, the uh, campaign in the late 60s is something I mentioned in episode 71 in my introduction to this series, as some of the stuff that I've read basically uh, blames the end of this show, The New Adventures of Superman, on that campaign in the late 60s. And, uh, yes, Dave, uh, Super Friends will fall in within my Superman purview 
I haven't exactly decided how in I'm going to cover them per se. I'm, you know, I've looked somewhat at the format of the Super Friends. I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself. I want to finish these filmations before I stop worrying about the Super Friends. But I am going to deal a lot about how Superman is used in relation to the other heroes and things like that. So Super Friends definitely will be covered. And it will be covered, you know, quite extensively. But I do plan to any story that doesn't have Superman in it will probably get more of a cursory mention than the ones that do. But that is for sometime next year. As for the return of Brainiac, as a kid I was so happy to see Brainiac in the show that I didn't even think about the fact that his return was his first appearance on the show. Of course, I was already well familiar with Brainiac from the comics. And finally, I must note the appearance of dragons in both the Superman segment, the Neolithic Nightmare, and the Superboy segment, the Deep Sea Dragon. Granted, these were broadcast in separate shows, but those were only a week apart. That's a heavy rotation of dra- for dragons, don't you think? Live long and prosper, Dave. Yes, that is a heavy rotation for dragons. I have mentioned in previous episodes the heavy rotation of amusement parks and carnivals and circuses as well. So you definitely see some of the same themes uh, coming up and uh, some of the same kinds of locations coming up. And you know what? Yeah, that's uh, a lot of dragons. But you know what? What kid doesn't like dragons in a cartoon? I'm never going to turn away dragons in a cartoon, are you? And when, and as far as Brainiac goes, we've already covered uh, the first appearance of Brainiac when we finished up uh, Season 1. There must have been uh, some kind of mix-up in the uh, way the episodes were ordered. Doesn't matter. You can enjoy them on their own just the same. The Return of Brainiac story doesn't really call back to anything. It, it just You just know that they had a previous encounter with Brainiac, but... It is definitely clear, though, that when Superman meets uh, Brainiac in the later episode that we saw him in, aptly titled Superman Meets Brainiac, that it was clear that it was Superman's first meeting with Brainiac. So, those two probably just should have been flipped. They weren't. It happens. Especially in a show that's not really worried about continuity. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and I'm going to come back with The Wisp of Wickedness, The Chameleon Creature, and Superman Meets His Match. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, all of the episodes in this segment were broadcast on September 23rd, 1967, and we're going to start with the Superman episode, The Wisp of Wickedness. This is written by Oscar Bensall, and all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. An evil alien creature is turned into a sphere of mist when he is killed during one of his own experiments. Drifting to Earth, the mist settles within the hat of a metropolis motorist who suddenly turns mad and tries to run down a playground full of children. As he's captured by Superman, the hat blows off his head. What's the matter with you? Why did you try to run down those children? I don't know. I can't explain it. I lost control of myself. I knew what was happening, but I couldn't stop. That doesn't make sense to me. What do you think, officer? Now look, Superman, I know this man. He's a good law-abiding citizen. 
But I'm going to have to take you in, Mr. Harris. You understand? Of course. Uh, have you seen my hat? And the man doesn't understand why he did what he did. Time after time, the hat finds itself a new owner who also creates havoc. Superman soon spots the Wicked Wisp. Not so fast, my friend. Just what were you trying to do? I don't know. I swear, I don't know. I couldn't help it. You too? You couldn't help it either? Honest! I'll eat my hat if... Your hat? Wait a minute. This is the same hat the crane operator was wearing. And the motorist who went wild. Great Scott, could it be something about this hat? What? What's that? I don't know. But I intend to find out. Freezes it and sends it into outer space. Okay, so this is an uh, interesting episode. Basically, it involves an, an alien whose dying spirit is sent to Earth. And he basically creates all kinds of havoc. So, we're going to see a bunch of people on the control. It's, you know, it's not the greatest episode in the world. It's kind of a silly concept, but you know what? Let's go with it. And we're going to start out with what is a creepy-looking planet. It's just an absolute wasteland. And here is a bearded alien in an orange jumpsuit who causes an explosion by accident. And he becomes a ball of light because that's what happens when you screw up your experiment. Of course, as soon as he dies, he... His disembodied form floats to Earth. And then we go to some guy driving a yellow car, taking off his hat to wipe his brow. A very important detail here, and wouldn't you know it, that ball of light falls into the open hat. And it makes him crazy as he drives like a lunatic through the streets of Metropolis. And now here's Clark driving like my grandmother and is being forced off the road. And his being forced off the road is more like him pulling off to a bull billboard next to the road. So Superman finds the driver bearing down on a playground, and he and if you look at the animation, the wheels on the car don't even turn. The car just kind of goes from side to side, almost like a you know if you have a toy with static wheels, and as a kid you're pushing it, you can't turn the wheels, but you can move the car side to side without the wheels turning. That's kind of that's what this thing looks like. So it looks kind of a little unnatural, but you know that's okay. It, the animation is getting the job done. So Superman lifts up the car and the hat flies off, and wouldn't you know it, when they come to, the driver is clueless as to what happened, as the hat flew away, taking the ball of light with it, and with the ball of light gone, the driver is back in his right mind. And Superman wasn't buying it, but the cops seem to know the guy, uh, apparently he's some kind of cop vouched for him, he's a good guy, and uh, but he does what he has to do, and Mr. Harris is taken in. And now this construction worker is going to uh, put the hat on, he looks ridiculous in his work clothes and the fedora. Good thing Frosty the Snowman didn't get a hold of this magic hat, or everybody's favorite Christmas special would have taken a very dark turn. So now the worker uh, lifts a bus with a crane, and, and he's about to put it into the junkyard, and here comes Superman to save the bus from becoming scrap iron, and uh, the worker takes off the hat, and the wisp goes with it. I don't know why I did it. I wouldn't harm a fly. I'm not a criminal. Ask my foreman. He'll vouch for me. I'm a peaceful man. That's what the other man said. And Superman is setting a theme here when he talks to the construction worker when he mentions that he's a peaceful man. He's uh, not one to pick up buses full of people and put them on the conveyor belt to be crushed. Now, another guy finds the hat and puts it on. You know, I should have asked this with the uh, construction worker. Who picks up a hat off the ground and puts it on their head? Seriously, I won't even wear one of my kids' hats. Would you honestly pick up a hat off the street that you just found? You don't know where that thing's been. But apparently, in this cartoon, people just picking up a hat off the ground. Hey, I always wanted a hat like this. And they put it on. Now, what are these people thinking? So now, this, the hat is controlling some guy working up near the ceiling, and he dumps some molten steel 
on Superman. The third time's the charm, but the worker mentions uh, the hat, and Superman figures it out. And now there goes the ball of light as it floats away. And it's kind of funny watching Superman try to fly after this thing and uh, grab it. And realizing it's vapor, Superman freezes it and throws it into space, like he always does. I don't think Superman had any idea what this ball of light was, or if he realized that there was a sentient being's consciousness in this thing. I wonder if he would have thrown it out into space if he knew that there was a scientist's consciousness in there. And now for our ending. Have you heard the latest, Clark? Latest what, Chief? Well, somehow, thanks to Superman, the judge cleared that motorist and those steel workers of any wrongdoing. I can't understand how each of those men could lose his head like that. Never mind their heads, Chief. It's a lucky thing each one lost his hat. Yeah, people were controlled by a ball of light in a hat. Not really much to write home about in that particular episode. So let's move on, shall we? The Superboy episode, The Chameleon Creature. This is also written by Oscar Bensall. On an African safari, Clark, Lana, and Professor Lang spot a rare white ape. They then spot a white creature that can change shape and abducts Lana. It turns out the creature is the white ape, which can change shape after exposed to a strange purple gas. Alright, so Clark and Lana are going on safari with Lana's dad. Look at that weird purple mist, Lana. Doesn't it give you the creeps? Oh, Clark, everything gives you the creeps. Your father says that white ape is guarded by all sorts of strange creatures. <laughs> Silly, don't you know he was only repeating a legend? I'm not sure what Lana actually thinks of Clark in these shows, other than she always thinks that he's Superboy, so maybe she is taking him on safari, hoping that something bad will happen and that will trick him into revealing his secret identity. I don't know. So this episode starts with the safari, and we have a white ape standing on the on a branch, beating his chest as only an ape can. And this explorer is Louis Lang, Lana's father, like I mentioned. And he grabbed Clark and Lana on, on a trip, and Crypto was there too, investigating. And Crypto spots something, and I am sure noticing, uh albino creatures at first it looks as though there are more than one albino creature but we're going to realize that it's all the same albino creature clark nearly gets caught talking to crypto and there is suddenly an elephant stampede and professor lang wants them stop but who is going to stop an elephant stampede you can't just get in front of it and yell stop and hope these um, mammoth creatures are going to stop they're just going to kind of run right over you but professor lang wants this thing stopped and it's going to get stopped as this poor elephant falls off a cliff and thankfully Superboy and Crypto show up to catch the plummeting pachyderms with the greatest of ease. Nice work, Crypto. I think you can proceed now, Professor Lang. <sighs> Thank you, Superboy. But Superboy... Another time, Miss Lang. Up, up, and away! Lana is now going to ask Superboy something, probably how the hell he knew to come there, but he flies off before he can do that. So then the Professor finds the, the beast and tries to lasso it. So Lana's role in this cartoon is clearly to worry and as she is fretting over what her father's doing over clark and just basically hanging around nervous so professor lang tries to lasso the white creature and it morphs into a dragon another dragon you know we mentioned the uh a lot of dragons in a previous episode and there's another dragon here so the white creature is morphing into a dragon and then it's a snake and it's funny how clark refers to it as a serpent before it becomes a snake then it turns into a bird so here's superboy coming again his plan is to distract the bird and uh, they're not going to scare the monster, but I guess dropping a boulder on it is enough of a distraction. And right now, it's also got Lana in its clutches, and after Superboy saves Lana, this particular creature is pretty angry. Now, Superboy will throw some punches at the creature, trying to uh, get it to stop doing whatever it is it's doing, but it basically just kind of flies around in a circle real fast and knocks Superboy back. And I must say, this thing is pretty adaptable, as it has an answer to kind of every situation it finds itself in. As soon as it ends up in the water... 
it turns into an eel. And eventually it's grabbed again and it tries to change again out of the eel shape. I guess that it can't take on characteristics of whatever it adopts the shape of because you would think it would have, if it was an eel, it would have become an electric eel or something and uh, kind of zapped Superboy, but it doesn't. And then they see the purple smoke and Superboy surmises this is the answer. The creature is lured toward the purple smoke and it turns back into a white ape. And apparently the gas has turned the white ape into a morphing creature. And then we get to, and then that's when Clark shows up and says Superboy pointed him in the right direction. All right, so that was interesting. You know, it was interesting seeing the, the albino creature just kind of form, become all different creatures and kind of keep Superboy on his toes. But, you know, it's another one of these Superman or Superboy versus a monster. And I, maybe you're not getting tired of this if you're watching these once a week. And at this point, this is only the show's third week back after being gone for most of the year so people at home aren't watching these in the uh, succession that i am no binge watching back in the day so maybe they're not getting tired of the repetition of a lot of these episodes but it is repetition there's a lot of superman slash superboy versus the monster and we're going to see that in the next episode we talk about superman meets his match and this is written by George Cashton. A large chunk of kryptonite collides with another meteor and hurtles down to Earth. On the scene, Superman is weakened as the kryptonite splashes into the ocean. Object. Oh, feel weak. Pain. That meteor. It must be. Yes. It's kryptonite. The one substance in the universe which renders me powerless. Hitting the ocean floor, the kryptonite cracks up open, revealing a strange green creature who has the same power as a Superman. Unable to defeat the creature, Superman manages to knock it out long enough for him to fly it into space, where he leaves it on a faraway planet. And catch the ending of that synopsis there, and leaves it on a faraway planet. Everybody, he is always leaving the alien creature on a faraway planet. How many habitable faraway planets are there that Superman can just keep flying these things away and leaving them there, and not bother anything else? So, this episode starts off by showing us the destruction of Krypton, as if we hadn't seen that before. It's a blue-green world that turns orange and explodes in a fiery explosion. Um, it's a nice animation. The orange, I guess, represents the molten lava or something like that. But it shows us that a rather large chunk remains and, in a very rare event, is hit by another meteor. And now Superman is flying up, and I'm noticing here that the animation looks a little different. Superman seems a little thinner here, and doesn't look like the burly, uh, Wayne Boring-inspired Superman. He's a little streamlined, maybe reminiscent of a Kurt Swan drawing. But the meteor hits the ground and it hatches and out comes a green creature. Now Superman was unable to catch the meteor because he recognized the effects of kryptonite poisoning that were emanating. So apparently this creature came to Earth encased in kryptonite. And now it comes out of the water and here comes Superman and he throws some punches at it and they have no effect on the creature which basically looks like a cross between a giant frog and a giant turtle. Looks quite amphibious, at the very least. Now, it's hard to imagine that these are the strongest blows, as there is no vibration, you know, threatening to wreck the Earth. Superman is a very powerful being, and the comics have illustrated that when he, even in the Silver Age, that when he fights beings that rival him in power, he shakes the Earth. So, now Superman's going to try something else. Super muscle power. Whatever that is, it doesn't work. And the creature just kind of swats Superman like a fly. I guess he tries to get under it and pull it away and maybe throw it. You know, like he throws everything else. But nope, nothing doing. He just kind of gets slapped down. So while Superman kind of wonders about the creature, it goes after an airplane and emits some kind of ray from its head. Like heat vision. Superman catches the plane and rather easily lands it. And having seen the creature use heat vision, Superman surmises that it's from Krypton. A nice bit of deductive reasoning there. It's exhibiting great strength, the ability to fly, and now heat vision. That this thing came from Krypton may not necessarily be that big of a stretch. 
That beast is still on the loose. What'll you do now? I mean, what can you do? I'm not sure yet, Jimmy, but I just realized something. What's that? A creature as strong as I that can fly like I do, even has heat vision like mine, such a thing must come from... From your world! Krypton! That's right. But... but how? Remember that chunk of kryptonite that landed in the sea? Holy mackerel! I forgot about that. Well, don't worry, Jimmy. I'll find a way to lick this somehow. So Superman flies by the creature again and attacks it, and again, his punch has no effect, but he does get the creature to fly after him, and they're playing a nice little game of Follow the Leader. My daughter likes playing Follow the Leader, but in an apartment our size, there's really not too many places to uh, follow. Now, I think the only thing Superman is really accomplishing here is making this creature mad, and that seems to be his goal. It doesn't have the control over his abilities like Superman does, as Superman can make sharp returns. He flies toward a cliff, and where he's able to kind of arch his back and fly upwards, the creature just kind of plunges right into the stone. So the narrator says the battle is raging. It doesn't seem like much of a raging battle to me, just a Superman flying around in a bunch of circles and making a creature mad. So now Superman came up with an interesting solution here. He grabbed a tree and bent it to the ground. How this tree didn't snap, neither you or I will ever know, but it's very pliable. So Superman lets the tree go, it recoils, and it knocked the creature cold. Almost like a rubber band. So it's definitely a funny image. It'll have the kids laughing, I imagine. So Superman takes the unconscious creature into space like he has so many creatures before. Later, returning to the Daily Planet, Superman resumes his secret identity of reporter Clark Kent. And so, Jimmy, Superman took the beast to its own private world where it can live out its days peacefully without harming anyone. Gosh, Mr. Kent, how do you always know so much about what Superman does? That, young fellow, is for you to figure out. I guess telling him that Superman told him is out of the question. It just seems like a little bit of a super dickery there a little bit. So. That one was probably the best of the three episodes covered in this segment. You know, I, again, another Superman versus the monster story, but it had a connection to Krypton, and Superman's solution with bending back the tree was somewhat interesting. But again, simple story, not much to say here. So let's take a quick break, play another podcast promo, and then I'll come back with the Night of the Octopod, the Superboy segment, the Great Space Race, and I'll finish up with Brainiac's Bubbles. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, the episodes in this next segment were all broadcast on September 30th, 1967, and we're going to start with the Superman episode, Night of the Octopod. This is written by Oscar Bensal. 
And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman fights off a strange flying saucer that has a strange octopod device. The octopod threatens a rocket base near Niagara Falls. Throwing the octopod into the waters near the base of the falls, Superman destroys the unmanned spaceship that brought it to Earth. However, an electric eel pacing by gives the octopod the power that it needs to take flight again sapping more power from a nearby power station. Superman comes to the rescue once again, short-circuiting the octopod after a brief tussle. So here we go. We got another Superman versus the alien monster story. You know, we're sensing a theme here. All these episodes are pretty much the same. Something either comes from outer space or the center of the Earth causes some havoc. Superman saves the day. The stories don't seem to change, just the circumstances. So here is Clark at a wire ticker. For those of you who aren't familiar with how the media industry worked back then, that's how wire service Got stuff to its member papers through the uh, ticker. Nowadays, the wire service is on the internet like anything else. And you don't necessarily rely on a ticking. And these uh, wire machines went out years ago. Probably once the computers and the internet started showing up. I'll put it this way. I've been working in newspapers since 2002 and I've never seen one. So take that for what it's worth. Clark hears about a flying saucer that has a strange octopod device attached to it and... Uh, He's going to change it to Superman, and this looks more like the filmation animation we're used to. Superman looks a lot bulkier here than he did in the previous Superman Meets His Match episode. Back to the Wayne Boring-inspired uh, Superman. So here comes a green robotic alien attacking the rocket base. It has eight legs, hence the name Octopod. Looks more like a giant spider, although the name kind of makes you think of an octopus. But basically, Octopod means exactly what it sounds like, eight legs. The Superman was flying into space for some reason, but... While he's in space, the rocket base seems to be paying the ultimate price, getting uh, attacked by this uh, strange alien creature. Here comes the octopod and throws four rockets back at the base that the base fired at it. You know, the base is trying to defend itself. The octopod catches the rocket and throws them back. So he's basically using the base's weapons against it. So Superman goes after the spaceship and the octopod grabs him and throws him away. Superman uses his x-ray vision and finds that the... It's unmanned. Good. Now I can destroy it without danger to life. So basically what he does is he grabs the legs of the octopod, grabs a few of them, spins the machine around and tosses it right into the river. Then Superman just kind of flies after the flying saucer and you could tell here that he's really moving just by the blurriness of the Superman image. You know, the image isn't as clear as normal, especially the lower half of Superman, which shows movement uh, at great speeds. So Superman just kind of collides with the saucer and destroys it. You know, give me ramming speed and the saucer is no more. However, the octopod is still there, and it falls into the Niagara River, and it kind of just hung out there until the electric eel blunders by and wakes it up. Now, the cartoon doesn't say how long the octopod laid at the bottom of the river, but the narration seems to imply that some time has passed before the eel showed up, but we're going to get something later on in the episode that's going to negate that. And by the way, an electric eel would probably not be hanging around in the Niagara River, as they're more likely to be found in the Amazon or Orinoco River basins in South America. You know, an eel is a tropical fish. It's not going to be hanging around in uh, near Niagara Falls with its long winters. But anyway, be that as it may, the eel wakes up the octopod and it's starting to feed on power lines. And just like our lethal lightning bug, electricity is going to make this thing grow. The only difference between the octopod and the lethal lightning bug from a few episodes back is that it doesn't exhaust its power and revert to normal size. The octopod is getting huge and it's going to stay huge. So, back to the base, and remember where I wondered how much time had passed? Well, apparently none, as Superman is still hanging around at the rocket base when the power goes out. Thank you, Superman. Don't know what we'd have done without you. Oh, you'd have done. Uh-oh, power failure. I'd better investigate that. So the octopod emerges, 
and attacks what I guess is the Maid of the Mist. It doesn't actually say Maid of the Mist on it, but it looks to be some kind of tour boat, which is carrying people around the uh, area of the Horseshoe Niagara Falls. We don't actually see the horseshoe-shaped falls in this episode, but I can imagine something like that would be a little complicated for uh, the filmation artist to draw. And if you're really hankering to see the Niagara Falls in a Superman property, just wait if about a year or so. When we get to Superman 2, you'll have all the Niagara Falls you can handle. So Superman saves these two guards from getting whacked with a pipe as Superman goes after the octopod, which casually throws them over the falls. Superman also gets zapped, which is illustrated by showing yellow rays in a circle around him, and the octopod is flying lightning bolts from the bottom of its feet, I guess you can call them. And apparently that signals the robot's demise as the electrically charged Superman shorts out the robot and destroys it. He basically takes two of the legs, touches, I guess, his ribs with them, and he has enough of an electrical charge that it goes from one leg to the other and shorts out the robot and destroys it. That finishes the octopod. Now the danger is really over. Thanks to you, Superman. And now to repair the damage. Yeah, I'm not creative solution. You know, it's nice to see Superman trying to figure out different ways to beat these uh, threats. He's not just punching them and they're falling apart. There's actually some thinking involved. And now, now back at home. Park, this lamp's been flickering. Will you see if you can fix it? Forget it, Perry. Last time I fooled around with something electrical, I caused a short circuit. And we get a little bit of a wink from the animated Clark. Alright, you know, not much to say about this one. Again, Superman vs. a Robot. No real story. Just a lot of punching and a little bit of science showing the short circuit. If you can call it science. Alright, so let's move right along to the Superboy episode, The Great Space Race. It's written by Oscar Bensall. Strange rays fired on a group of icebergs sets them floating through the air. Superboy and Crypto arrive on the scene and take care of them. Soon, their services are needed again when a meteor shower strikes. Spying a strange spacecraft, Superboy and Crypto force it to land, and they find they've mistakenly stopped an alien police from capturing clerics and escape villains. Rash boy! Do you know you have just aided a fleeing criminal? Fleeing criminal? Yes! We are law officers from the planet Braxis. I see, but after stealing a super weapon from our government laboratory, Clarix, the evil scientist, fled with his gun. Setting out in pursuit, we track them to your world. The icebergs and meteors you encountered were roadblocks, thrown in our path by Clarix, who used stolen weapons. But now, alas, Clarix is safe. For when you forced us down, you damaged our tracking instruments. Oh, gee, gosh, I, I'm sorry, sir, but maybe we can help find him. Ah, oh, too late, I fear. But once he has gathered enough uranium, Clarix can take off to any place in the galaxy. Why uranium? That is what powers the stolen weapon. Wait, I think I know just how to trap Clarix. Wait right here. Superboy and Crypto set a trap for Clarix and bring him to justice. In the name of Planet Rexis, we thank you, Superboy, and your dog. Golly, it was the least we could do after the way we goofed your mission. <laughs> You're right, Crypto. We've still got to return that uranium we borrowed. Let's go. All right, this uh, this one finally has a little bit of a story as uh, 
to go along with the uh, fantastic elements, such as the flying icebergs. You know, there's a little bit of a story here, and you're actually going to see Superboy screw up, which is nice. You know, you don't see Superman make too many mistakes, and this is something Dave McElvenny has mentioned in some of his letters, that now that I think about some of those Dave McElvenny letters, they might be letters I haven't read on the show yet that I that I have, and um waiting to get them on but anyway what we're gonna see here is superboy making a mistake he's going and i'll get to it and i'll talk more about it when i get to it but he's going to accidentally stop the wrong alien so he didn't look to see what he was doing and that kind of comes back to bite him a little bit in this episode and we're gonna get into that so first we start off with an orange ray that puts some kind puts a bunch of icebergs in the sky and they're flying off i'm not sure if it's some kind of heat ray or some kind of anti-gravity device but i guess it doesn't matter as the icebergs are floating away superboy hears a distress call while studying at the school library and as clark and he walks away he tells his study buddy here that he'll be right back and he changes into superboy and again in the superboy shorts we're getting better shirt rips than we are in the superman episodes and i wish the superman episodes in this regard would take a cue from the superboy one but they don't and it's frustrating so Crypto heard it too, and he's off to the icebergs as well. And you can see Superboy and Crypto punching and kicking in the flying ice. The big ones go up where they can melt, and it's a well-conceived plan. I guess friction is making them melt. Uh, I, I don't know how well Mr. Bensall is uh, up on his science, but the further up you go, the colder it gets. So, And the less air there is, the less friction there is. So I'm not necessarily sure how going up is getting rid of these icebergs, but it is. I guess they're melting away before. I guess there's enough friction to melt them away before they get to the vacuum of space. I don't know. I probably thought far more about that than Oscar Bensal did. And now we got a meteor storm, and Superboy tells Crypto to dig a big hole, and it's, you know, it's a good thing to have a dog hanging around. Uh, Crypto is going to take his two front paws, and he's going to dig one hell of a hole, and Superboy is going to create a vacuum and lures the meteors into Crypto's hole. And now Superboy is worried about the two freak disasters, and he finds the Raider's ship, and they land on top of it. And it's trying to shake them off. And apparently Superboy's plan is to force it to land and not force it into space like he always does. So, apparently Superboy has aided a criminal as the two guys in the ship are law officers from the planet Raxus. I have in my notes, how should he know? But, you know what? Maybe he should have taken some time to communicate with these guys before grabbing their ship. He just assumed that aliens were attacking, here's an alien ship, they're responsible. I mean, I can see how Superboy jumped to that conclusion, but... Yeah, maybe this is something a Superman, he talks first before attacking the ship and he causes clerics this evil scientist who stole a super weapon from his homeworld government to get away at least for now apparently he fled his planet in a green rocket and then of course came to earth because because that's where all of the alien fugitives go the current uh, supergirl show on cw is kind of showing that earth is an alien haven so why wouldn't it be in a 1960s cartoon so superboy has kind of blundered into this and destroyed the alien's tracking equipment so not only has he captured the wrong aliens, but he has destroyed their way of tracking their their suspects. So he's compounding his own error by making additional mistakes. So it's up to Superboy to, you know, put things right. And he's going to have to cor- correct the situation that his mistakes cause. His eagerness, let's call it, to stop the aliens from attacking the Earth has caused him to make a mistake. And now he's going to rectify it. And I like seeing him take responsibility for his mistake and taking the proper steps to set things right so superboy needs some uranium and of course he has a plan to attack clerics you know perhaps these aliens should have contacted the authorities to let them know they're on the planet we've seen enough aliens before in these superboy shorts that aliens from outer space are not that bizarre of an occurrence maybe the earthlings would have taken the information a little bit better than we think so superboy and crypto just kind of leave with a bunch of uranium and uh, the uranium is borrowed and we're going to see later that superboy will actually give it back now cleric shows up and Superboy and Crypto take care of business. It's an easy fight. None of these aliens are any more powerful than the average human. 
and neither are their weapons. <laughs> Superboy delivers one hell of an uppercut, and Clarence and his men kind of just fall down in a pile. You know, you wouldn't see this in live action with the men kind of lying there in a pile, but it's rather amusing. When you actually have to pile act- un- actors to form an unconscious human pile, it's probably going to hurt the guy in the bottom a little bit. You don't have to worry about that so much in animation. So now for our ending, Superboy turns the alien criminals over, Crypto enjoys the thanks, and Superboy is remorseful for fouling up their mission. And, you know, I like that. He learned his lesson here. He fouled up their mission, he apologized for it, but he he did something that's even more more important than apologizing. He said it right. You know, too many people now, you know, do something, do something wrong, hurt somebody else in some fashion, and, you know, they just say they're sorry and think that makes everything okay. You know, it doesn't. You know, what, saying sorry is one thing. Fixing the situation is another, and it's nice to see the Superboy fix the situation. And it's good to know that he's giving back the uranium. So, another solid Superboy episode. Let's move right along to the final episode we're going to cover on this week's show, and that's going to be Brainiac's Bubbles. It's written by Oscar Bensall. A UFO was spotted hovering over Metropolis. What's up, Beanie? Flash! There's a flying saucer hovering over Metropolis. I gotta alert the chief. See anything, Lois? No, I'm going up on the roof. It releases a transparent bubble which captures Lois Lane. Coming to her rescue, Superman is captured in a bubble prison of his own, the product of another Brainiac robot. Dr. Heckler has set his Brainiacs to capture Lois. So, Superman, now you will no longer thwart me, eh? Don't bet on that, Dr. Heckler. (laughs) Ha! I can't destroy you, but I can keep you in that bubble forever. Thus, you will no longer interfere with my plan to repopulate Mega with Earth people. And you, Miss Lane, you will become Queen of Mega. Release her. Superman has other plans and manages to escape from his bubble, destroy the Brainiac robots, and rescue Lois. You know, my first thought when I saw Lois and Clark at the Daily Planet to start this episode is, one, you know, this is something Bob and I talked about a lot during our coverage of the Adventures of Superman, was that every good Superman story starts at the Daily Planet. Now, a lot of bad ones start at the Daily Planet, too, but I, I can't remember a good one that didn't start at the planet. And I'm noticing... Lois is here, and I can't even remember when the last time we saw Lois was. You know, it feels like in these episodes we're getting a ton of Jimmy, but not so much Lois. And now here comes Beanie the Office Boy, looking a little bit different than the last time we saw him. Which I'm guessing is just kind of a change up in the animation. Looks like Beanie's got a little bit older since the last time we saw him, and I think the episode in the cave where the Whispering Wind, the Whispering Cave, or whatever it was. I think that might be the last time we saw Beanie, huh? I don't know, maybe we saw him a little more recently than that, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, you know, Beanie's looking a little more mature now. A little more clean cut than he was before. And uh, Beanie comes in to inform them that there's a flying saucer hovering over Metropolis. Now Clark says it looks familiar and he flies up after the machine. And then the saucer sends down a bubble. Seems harmless enough and Superman just kind of bounces harmlessly off of it. And that's when he realizes it's another Brainiac. And I guess that's our scientist, Dr. Heckler from the planet Mega, can just roll these guys off of an assembly line. Now Lois is doing what she does and 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 what that is is watch the battle through some binoculars. Jeepers, Miss Lane, I see it. I see the saucer. Oh, that's no saucer, Beanie. That's just a big blue balloon. Holy cow, it's gonna land on this roof. Watch out, Miss Lane. She whiz. Miss Lane, she... She... Help! Help! Someone help! But as she's doing that, Lois is abducted by a bubble. 
And Superman heard Beanie's call and he tries to save Lois. He tries to punch into the bubble. No effect. Tries to fly through it. The outside gives and stretches, but, you know, nothing doing there either. So the only thing that's really accomplished for Superman is that he gets a bubble of his own. What we're going to get in this episode also is our first look at Dr. Heckler. We've only seen Brainiac in the previous three appearances of the character. And uh, now here is Brainiac reporting in. And here's our first view of Dr. Heckler. He just looks like a guy with big brown hair. And Brainiac's reporting in. Brainiac number seven reporting. Did you get the girl? Affirmative. Have also captured Superman. Excellent. Bring them quickly to my laboratory. At once, master. So it looks like uh, Lois and Superman are going on a field trip. And they're going to meet Dr. Heckler on the planet Mega. And look, let's talk a little bit about Heckler here. He has noble goals. He wants to repopulate his planet, which has been destroyed in some kind of nuclear war, I think it was, or atomic war, as they called it, or either way, some kind of war has decimated the, the population of the planet Mega, and Dr. Heckler wants to repopulate the world. Nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with this is the method in which he is trying to do it. You know, we saw in the in a previous episode where he was trying to round up, Brainiac was rounding up circus animals to repopulate Mega. This is not the first. This is not the first time that he's tried to kidnap Lois to bring her to Mega. So he's trying to repopulate his planet through kidnapping, and that's only going to create bitterness. So his goals may be no, may be noble, but his actions are not so noble. And as you can see, he has an army of Brainiacs to do his bidding. So Heckler frees Lois from her bubble, and he's going to make her a queen. I mean, of course, what other role is she suited for? I don't think he's looking for a publicist. So Superman escapes his bubble, and for all the trouble he had with it from the outside previously, it seems a little too easy for him to escape. Superman just kind of rolls the bubble to the disintegration rate control. He saw how Dr. Heckler freed Lois from her bubble, and he kind of rolls his way to the disintegrating rate control, turns the machine on, then rolls his way back. And voila, Superman is free. I guess these two episodes are too short for Superman to struggle too much. Heckler calls Superman's actions ingenious, but uh, to me it's just a bunch of rolling. So Superman goes after Heckler, and he ends up shrinking the mad scientist, who is quite irate. And apparently, Lois has been brought to the brainwash room, where she's being conditioned to be queen. Can you imagine having a... You're a mad scientist, and you actually have a room called the brainwash room? Who would want to go in there, even to work? I wouldn't. The minute you put the words brain and wash together, I'm getting the hell out of there. If I could. So I'm not sure what kind of brainwashing is involved with making Lois queen, but, you know, it's ongoing. And then there's a new problem as the shrunken heckler climbs up to his ray and hits the panic button. And this causes a bunch of brainiacs to appear in front of Superman. And then one grabs Lois and the rest are bubbled up. And Superman is just kind of pounding on the uh, bubbled brainiacs like he's a kid trying to get a new toy. So, Superman le- needing a new plan, Superman leaves the ship and plans to knock out Heckler's power as the scientist restores himself to full size. And now he's going to go with the old age-old trope of, of using Lois as a hostage. And with one punch, Superman turns off the power to Heckler's lab that not only gets rid of the bubbles, but turns off the brain as well. And that's another common trope we're seeing in science fiction. Whenever uh, something there are too many mechanical devices of some kind, the Phantom Menace is most guilty for doing this. Just taking out a ship, turning off the power, and the army of robots just falls asleep. So Now Superman gets to show off a little bit as he punches a row of four brainiacs which just explode on contact. So now for our ending back at the planet. Hi Lois. Want to see what I picked up in a novelty store? You'll enjoy this. Watch. Oh! Clark picks up a 
the tin were of kids' bubbles. You could like the kind you could probably get at the dollar store or something, and Hannah blows them at Lois in the office, and she recoils in fear. Superman saw what Lois had been through with Brainiac. So just blow bubbles at her. It just absolutely cruel. But this is based on a Silver Age Superman, which seems to get his rocks off doing cruel things to Lois sometimes. But that was a pretty good episode. It's, it was good to see Brainiac's creator after so many solo outings of uh, Brainiac. I'm not sure what happened to Dr. Heckler after the events of this episode, but it's nice to see there can be many more Brainiac adventures in this show because there are a bunch of Brainiac androids. So... I really like that one. That was a good one. Next time, we will head into the back half of Season 2. Now, Season 2 only has 16 Superman episodes and 8 Superboy episodes, so I'm only going to need 4 episodes to cover Season 2 and 4 episodes to cover Season 3 as well. So, next week, I'm going to cover the Superman episodes War of the Bee Battalion, the Toy Man Super Toy, the Cage of Glass, and the Atomic Superman. And I'm also going to cover the Superboy episodes The Finger of Doom and Crypto, Canine Detective. Now, uh, feedback is always welcome. You can send in your email to me at manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if, you, if you're so inclined, please uh, leave me a review on iTunes. That'll help other people find the show. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. <laughs>